Welcome back to the Act 2 podcast, a podcast for the real-life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I'm Josh Hallman. And before we rant and or rave about the Snyder Cut today, uh, please remember to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any of our upcoming topics. You can also give us a rating, write a comment, tell us how bad or good we're doing. And if you'd rather DM us, you can with questions or topic suggestions, or you just want to wave and say hi, you can reach out to us at act2writers at gmail.com. That's all spelled out. Or on our Instagram at act2writers. You can also find me, Tasha, on Instagram at Story Thursday, or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. And you can find me on Instagram at Josh Hallman or Instagram at Joshua Hallman. All right, so we have a This Week in Writing to start with before jumping into Snyder Cut. But even before jumping into This Week in Writing, I just want to remind everyone that there was a big announcement in our previous episode with the mentorship with uh, Coverfly. And so if anyone hasn't listened to the last episode, go listen to it so you know what the hell I'm talking about. Go listen to it, figure out what the Act 2 mentorship program is all about. We talk with Tom Dever, who is from Coverfly. He's the head of writer success, which I thought was the most kind <laughs> of epic uh, <laughs> title. One that was it, that's what his title was? That's what his title is on the actual Coverfly Where website. So yeah, we talk with Tom about what Coverfly is and how it's really geared towards helping up and coming writers. And then talk about how we've come together to create this pretty awesome and I think unique mentorship program. And uh, information on how you can apply is all in that episode. I am so excited for today's episode and we can do this week in writing, but I just got really fired up thinking about kind of like what we're about to cover. I'm so glad because I think you and I have very different things to say about our topic today. I, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, start with your this week in writing. Okay. This week in writing. I recently had a spec go into the world. Just go into the world. And basically for the last couple of days, I finding myself, I'm like waking up in the middle of the night in just like a total panic about life and stuff like that. And I'm sure it's tied to the spec and just kind of like general anxiety. My this week in writing is more of a lesson, but it's just to say like everyone's stressed out about writing. And if you're going through some shit, you're having some tough times as a writer, just know I'm waking up at 2.30 in the morning, panicked out of my mind. <laughs> and a lot of people are. You're not alone in this boat. Yeah, actually, I've been having a lot of anxiety dreams about Tomb Raider. So, <laughs> like, every night, it's just nonstop. So, yeah, that's very real. So, is this just the life of being a writer? You know, I think it is. My previous showrunner also mentioned that he was constantly having anxiety dreams about the project he was showrunning. So, it makes sense. You care about something so much. You work on it so much. You put so much of yourself in it. Once the world is watching it yeah you're gonna freak out about it sweet yeah practice that meditation you keep telling me about i'm a fraud it's <laughs> supposed to help me i wish anyway. i yeah i wish we had a different message for that but i think josh and i are both in it this week which is why it's this week in writing yeah this week i mean it's not that bad i'm just everyone's going through it so if you feel really like crazy at certain times and you're not sleeping it's normal all right so we're going to talk about the snyder cut we have to talk about the Snyder Cut. I guess I'm going to start. 
then I'm just going to say, you know that I generally don't like to diminish a movie, talk poorly about a film, at least publicly. <laughs> I like to just do it when people can't hear me and just to you and Dave and whoever else will listen. Having said that, I wasn't the biggest fan of the theatrical Justice League. My expectations for the HBO Max Snyder Cut Justice League were kind of low. I'm not going to lie. I kind of went into it and I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know what to think about any of this. And then I watched the Snyder Cut and I found myself engaged. And then I watched more of it and I was like, I'm really engaged in this movie. And then I wanted to know what was going on. And I just kept watching and watching and watching. And I was only supposed to watch a little bit of it. And I ended up watching, well, it took me two days, but I watched the Snyder Cut. And I was like, holy shit, I really like this movie. I'm in. Give me the Snyderverse. Release all the everything. Just go. Just go. And here's why. I really appreciate that it is a Zack Snyder vision. Like, that's what it is. And, and this is something that we've talked about before, even with pitching, where it's kind of like, you know, like, how do you bring your own vision to a pitch? Like, how do you, because as a director, you can definitely, here's, here's what my vision is. But as a writer, it's a little more difficult. You kind of have to have your own personal take. You have to be the only one who can write something. And when I was watching this, I was like, you know what, for better or worse, I am watching one man's vision. And here's what it is. It's not like, you know, whatever the theatrical version was. It's not anything else. I'm watching the fucking Snyder Cut. And I really appreciated that. And I felt like the movie had arcs. I followed what was going on. Why are you shaking your head? What? Tell me. Tell me what. I I've just... got some notes too. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Where are my notes? <laughs> so I watched this thing in four hours straight. And wow. so I have maybe different thoughts than you because of that, possibly, to be honest, as you were talking, I could see how breaking it up might help it build and and might make more sense because you're sort of forgetting certain things by by breaking it up. But also speaking to your vision point, this was written by three different people. So that's something to think about too is yes, it's his directorial vision, but in terms of your question of how do you as a writer put your vision, I, I would be curious what those different scripts looked like in the development process, in other words. Me too. I just need to say one more thing. When Steppenwolf threw those fucking horses, when there's, he's chasing after the Wonder Women or Amazonians or whatever they're called, I was like, I'm in. Where was this? <laughs> Why wasn't this in the theatrical cut? I was all freaking in. And by the way, I really liked the tone of it. I think the tone was dark. It was a very, very dark film, but it was consistent and horses were thrown. I love that scene. The amazon giant amazon fight scene i remember liking it from the original theatrical version but this the extended edition of that i was all in for super in it was so fun and the, i mean the action scenes are fine the action scenes are great they're very fun and adventurous why are you diminishing <laughs> <laughs> everything you're just <laughs> shutting it all down i should say i i like this the Snyder Cut much better than the original Justice League movie that Joss did. And Joss Whedon is, it had been previous to 
various Me Too things that have come out about him recently. He had been my kind of my hero, my writing, directing hero. And that movie was just it was utter trash. I, I watched it and immediately wanted my money back and I was watching it on my TV and I've never really felt that much <laughs> anger <laughs> towards a movie. And I think it was because you could see so much potential being lost. And so I was very excited about the Snyder Cut because I wanted to see if some of that potential had been saved in some way. And I should take a slight step back because I'm a bit overselling my excitement because I actually did not have any interest in watching the Snyder Cut. It was not going to be a part of my life. And then my boyfriend, Paul, hi, Paul, he was like, just watch the trailer. Just watch the trailer. And the trailer was kind of epic it did look like a complete movie it did have new scenes that i was very excited about and so i was like okay i'm in and he wanted to watch the old justice league and then move right into the four hour so it would have been a six hour experience which i was ready to do for the purposes of this podcast because it's a writing lesson to be sure mm -hmm. but um i'm glad in the end that we did not do that <laughs> wow so what so what's the deal what what were your what's your beef with justice league my beef is there were parts of the movie as we were going that we just started laughing at because it felt so ridiculous it felt like a spoof upon itself and one scene that comes into mind is they are all all the heroes are going up to like the top of the tower where the bad guy is interrogating <laughs> all the people is that when they when it was like they walked up the stairs they walk up this they literally walk up the stairs and there's this epic music and then pause when they stop at a landing and then there's like a line and there's epic music and they keep walking and then pause and it felt like like a comedy D, &D movie in a way where like your your merry band of adventurers is going up the stairs and then there's a joke and so it really took me out because there were these moments where it was supposed to be played seriously and it might be partly due to Ben Affleck's performance, but there were certain aspects that like a line would be delivered <laughs> and it would take me out because it felt so silly in the tone of the movie. So like, I agree the tone was dark, but sometimes it felt kind of silly. The writing did. Oh, really? Yeah. I will just say, and then we can kind of shift a little more to the writing, but I found that that scene really funny also but for the purpose or for the reason that it's basically like a woman who can fly like the fastest person ever and then batman who can like cling onto walls and they're like i'm gonna take the stairs and they just go up the stairs and a cyborg who can fly <laughs> and there's it's like a very urgent thing there's urgency to this moment and they're walking up the stairs when none of them have to it was very confusing and i think that is sort of a microcosm of the macrocosm for me in terms of things that i was bumping on in this movie is that a lot of stuff didn't make sense and it was taking away from what the characters like the power of the characters and it kind of turned them in many ways ridiculous in my mind wow I bet, you know, I, I will say I probably could have edited that movie down to three hours. Yeah. Well, why why did you like it so much? Well, f I, I really did feel like there were arcs. Like, I knew what was going on with everyone. What's interesting about DC is, like, they have the blueprint on how to have a successful uh, superhero universe. Like, it's been done literally for the past 14, 15 years or whatever it's been. And they all they have to do is look at what Marvel did and be like, all right, here's phase one. Here's <laughs> yeah. phase two. Here's phase three. 
And they can establish all of these characters with their own standalone movies, but they kind of rushed into it and mm -hmm. they did Man of Steel, Batman, Superman, and then obviously then Wonder Woman, then Justice League. But the point being is that I wish the characters were more developed because I feel like, at least in Marvel, y you know them and then you're rooting for them. And when yes. they become the Avengers, you, you're really on board and you know their quirks and you know this and that, you know. And I don't think Justice League necessarily has that. Although... For whatever it's worth in this movie uh the snyder cut i did feel like okay there's like all of the characters kind of did wonder woman have an arc yeah she chopped off his head at the end i mean that was pretty amazing she, that was awesome yeah i just felt like there were arcs with all the characters i got it i understood what was going on i don't understand what's going on in a lot of movies with this kind of <laughs> mythology yeah but i understood what was going on in this movie for whatever reason which is crazy it is crazy because a lot of what I'm going to talk about when we start talking about mythology is how it makes absolutely no sense. But as part of it, I do think there's a lot of audience forgiveness in the sense that you generally get who the bad guy is, that they generally want to destroy the world. And there are these people who are at odds with each other, but come together anyways for the greater good. Like that's... It's just a very, that's a simple story to tell in a way because uh, the audience immediately gets it. I think a lot of the details get missed in terms of execution of mythology, which we can talk about later. You know, what's really interesting is I've been asking myself if I had not seen the Justice League theatrical version, I've been wondering how I would feel about this movie, but this is something I'll never be able to undo in my brain. Yeah. It's like I just, I knew how, like what you were saying, kind of like Miss Potential. Yeah. And then I watched this, which I, I think everyone would say is better. It's a different movie. It's a completely different movie. I don't care what anyone says. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm, I, fuck, man. And Zack Snyder's from Wisconsin? <laughs> is that some bias I'm hearing here? I don't know. I think what you were saying before is really important and is it, points at the, the big problem for me, which is that we don't have movies about anyone except for our main three. And for me, Cyborg, I did not care about him at all. And I wow. wanted to, I like the idea of a father-son story and him growing into loving and caring for his father and kind of getting over his own rage at his father's absence. But without a movie about him, I was not emotionally invested. And so there are many times when the movie would cut to Cyborg and, oh, he's, you know, he's dealing with having his father die. And I was like, I don't care. Let, let's go back to the main three who I actually care about because I didn't understand why we were even in that story. And it felt like he was just a convenient part of the story because they needed someone to plug into the mother boxes. But other than that, I wasn't sure about his purpose here. Wow, you almost sound like Joss Whedon editing the first Justice League. I think I understand where his instincts came from. It was an extra storyline that didn't need to be told here. If we had another movie about him and I understood more about his relationships with his families, then I think I would be very devastated when his father died. But it, without setup, without me being bonded to him as a character, it just landed very flat for me. But you cared about the other characters. Yeah. Okay. I mean, Aquaman, no. Aquaman is just there, but he's funny. And so I'm brought along on that journey because I know he's always just going to have a fun one-liner. Flash is interesting because Flash didn't have a movie either. And all you get is those, I think there's only two scenes with him and his dad who's in prison. Mm -hmm. And I 
understood those scenes more and i didn't like particularly feel for flash like his pain about his dad and stuff was was there it was well acted but again i wasn't super emotionally invested in flash but i understood that storyline actually much better than i understood cyborgs for some reason and it may be the acting to be honest wow i, I think the cyborg he, he he chose to act in a very kind of robotic way right so there was very little emotion portrayed in that in that acting um where the absolute reverse is for flash as you were watching this movie at what point were you like i'm out i don't want to watch this anymore that point is very clear to me and it is when they're all gathered around the mother box talking about what to do next and then they're like we're all thinking it and then the mother box projects the image of superman as the solution to their problem it was then that i was like this writing is a piece of shit and wow i I can't handle this anymore. And then it became more funny as it went on because I just wasn't taking it seriously. What would have been good writing in that moment? <laughs> <laughs> I recognize that it sounds very egotistical right now or just flat out rude to say the things that I'm saying. So I'm going to step back a bit because no, it, mean... is a, it is a huge feat to get the movie that they put on screen on screen and i don't want to diminish that because getting a movie made is next to impossible so i'm gonna i'm gonna step back and that was just me being very judgmental and i apologize but that being said i <laughs> i have very particular feelings about mythology yes and because i write about mythology so much it's constantly in my brain and i just kept seeing these glaring errors that were making me really mad and they were making me really mad because i get notes on my mythology all the time and to me i'm like if you're how dare you note me if we're allowing this movie to exist the way that it exists because the snyder cut got away with murder in many ways with their mythology and i feel like if we're gonna do that let me get away with more murder than i get away with i understand that and mythology is really really fucking difficult and i've told you a million times i'm like i don't know how you do this i just worked on something that wasn't even nearly as in depth as the things you work on but i had to create a mythology and i'm doing it again right now i'm uh, with the, the project i'm working on with kai and like you're just figuring all these things out where you're like ah oh, i don't need to worry about that and then they come up you have to worry about everything so and i should say that at some later point we're going to do a, like a full-on tasha centric yeah. mythology episode well yeah this is this is just like the teaser <laughs> yeah. because you know this is just stuff got... that came up in thinking specifically about this movie and then specifically about that scene i think is really where the main issues come out. I mean, should I just launch into it? I want to hear some mythology uh, wisdom. All right. So there were three main issues that I had with the way the mythology was given to us in this movie. And the first main problem is that you can't just make shit up as you go and just keep adding on new rules. Okay. So <laughs> sorry okay. if I'm going to get like, I'm, I'm like... I'm like really geared up for this. I think it's because I'm working on Tomb Raider right now, which is just so mythology heavy. Yeah. So it's just like I'm geared up for this. Yeah, your posture changed. Yeah. Everything. <laughs> you, you scooted up. <laughs> <I'm> ready. <laughs> oh, shit. 
So the big problem of just making stuff up as you go and just adding new rules willy-nilly is that A is just bad writing for things to be convenient to whatever you want in the moment. And then the other big problem to just adding stuff and making stuff up as you go is that if your mythology is simply convenient and whatever you want it to be, then it starts to feel made up. And then suddenly I feel like I'm watching a movie that you made up. And the last thing that you want is for your audience to feel like they're just watching a script that you wrote and shot with some friends, right? You want to make movies so that people can escape into another world. Like I never watch Marvel movies and feel like I've stepped outside and I'm now just watching a script being read by actors. But that is where I started to feel in this movie. Yeah. I, w I was just going to say something. What's really interesting about this and interesting about mythology is 99.9% .9 of writers do not have the luxury of, you know, 10 movies to kind of like yeah. drag out the mythology. Interestingly, DC and Marvel have that luxury. But yes. One did it, the other one did not. But it is really, really difficult to cram a lot of mythology and the rules into a movie it's just it's it's mind-boggling and i wonder if i'm more forgiving mm. and it it's almost like um when you see an alien that gives you like an overload of information and your brain can't like process it yeah like i wonder that's how sometimes i feel with mythology where it's like it's so confusing i'm like all right cool I'm that's in. interesting because you you as you said sort of at the beginning of the podcast you don't tend to follow these mythology movies very well. So I wonder if you are just like, all right, just, yeah, give it to me. It's all going to be confusing anyways. And I'll just kind yeah. of glean on to the things that I understand and then I'll forgive the rest because I don't really get it and who cares? Yeah, give me like the like the goalposts. Like let me know what's like, or like the touchstones of this. Like all yeah. I need to know are there are three boxes and people are after them and I'm good. Yeah. Well, that's sort of what I'm going to talk about is – that the answer to mythology is always to simplify. And I think what Justice League did was it complicated. And I think the result is fairly the same in the sense that as an audience, we are very forgiving about not understanding things and we get the big picture. But my issue was that it made me step out of the movie. It made me feel like it was a script and I just was not invested. So let's just kind of look at why this issue is a problem. This idea of just making stuff up as you go and adding new rules. We'll do it kind of by walking through, I think, one of the big rules that's set up in the movie, which is that the mother boxes are neither good nor evil. It's said, and I think Wonder Woman says this, that they just reshape matter. And they listen to whoever is the boss at the moment. So that's great. That is a great rule. It's super specific. It's very unique. It wholeheartedly shifts the villain role of the movie to Steppenwolf rather than kind of clouding it up as being, you know, Steppenwolf and the boxes are all evil. No, they're not. They're not evil. Steppenwolf is evil for using the boxes in an evil way. So we have one villain, not four villains. So that's great. I'm super on board with that idea. But then they start talking about, well, why now? And that's always a really big question we get asked as writers, right? Like, why yeah. is this story happening now? And the answer in the movie is the mother boxes have been dormant since ancient times and that the death of Superman has activated them to call out to their master Steppenwolf because they were scared of Superman this whole time. So this is a new rule, right? <laughs> and this rule exists because 
they want to emphasize the importance and the epicness of Superman and to kind of amp up this emotional grief that we have around losing Superman, who is the protector of all mankind. And he was such a protector of mankind that he protected us from the mother boxes that he didn't even know existed. Like, what a champ. But wait, because if you think about it, Superman wasn't on Earth when the mother boxes went dormant all those thousands and thousands of years ago. In fact, he didn't even show up until fairly recently, like within people's lifetimes. So that doesn't really make sense. So mm. that's just a made up rule that someone said about Superman. And I think that if a hero says a rule that makes no sense, then I now doubt that hero's credibility. So now I don't I don't believe Wonder Woman, whatever she like. She's dumb now because her rule makes no sense. So if the heroes don't know what the hell they're talking about, then why am I invested in their story and how can I take them seriously? I don't like where this is going. It's worse. Like it I'm, gets worse. I, I don't like how I'm feeling. <laughs> so the next thing that we learned, the other rule upon this mother box thing is that Cyborg was actually created by the mother box. And so he's basically 99% mother box, right? You just get his face and that's it. And that's why he can kind of feel their presence. But we have just been told that the mother boxes can reshape matter of an entire planet. So why can't the mother box just put Cyborg back into his normal body? Or for that matter, why can't Cyborg just do that to himself right now? Why is he so upset he's a cyborg if he can just mother box himself into whatever matter form he wants to be? So now I'm thinking, is Cyborg a moron? <laughs> Are the other people morons for not suggesting this idea to him? Are they just not suggesting it because they need Cyborg to be Cyborg, in which case that's very selfish? Or is Cyborg digging his cyborgness and that's why he doesn't want to just reshape his matter back into a body? These are all valid questions, but none of them are addressed, which makes me think it just wasn't thought of by the writer. How could that not be thought of? <laughs> who knows? All right. As someone who gets noted to death about mythology, it's very confusing to me how this got missed. But whatever. Okay. All right. So I've learned this bit about Cyborg, and I'm feeling a bit annoyed at this point because I'm starting to feel like our heroes aren't very smart. And then I'm told that to win this war... Cyborg has to hook up to the mother boxes and essentially separate them from within because they've all kind of combined. And because he's part mother box, he can do that, which is great. That's cool. I understand that rule and I get why he's here. But then Wonder Woman says something like, well, if you go in there, it will try to find your flaws and try to destroy you. First of all, how the hell does she know that? Because I'm pretty sure she like just found out what these mother boxes were like less than 24 hours ago in that underground temple. But regardless, to me, the biggest bump there was you literally just said that these boxes are neither good or evil. They simply reshape matter. So if they're neither good or evil, why would they try to find Cyborg's flaws and destroy him? Because now that's sounding really, really convenient. And from a writing standpoint, I will say I get it. You want it to be dangerous and difficult to defeat the boxes. I get that. But you can't just create two new rules that contradict each other. <laughs> Either mm. the boxes are totally neutral and they are not the villain, or they are going to try to destroy Cyborg. But you can't have both things be true at the same time. Those are all great points. Maybe you feel like I'm noting it to death, but I think the point is that the effect of this is very real 
on the audience. And as a writer, this is the lesson I'm trying to kind of put forward through my bitterness here is that I have zero understanding of what this box can and can't do at this point. I now no longer know what its motivation is. And so I'm no longer engaged in the movie. I'm no longer kind of leaning into it, right? Instead, I'm kind of left in this weird place where I'm just waiting for the movie to tell me information, for the writer to just kind of tell me the story, if that makes sense. Because because I can't track it myself, now I, I'm completely reliant on the writer to give me information. And that's not how you want your audience to experience the movie. You want them to feel like they're in it. I'm just reshaping my entire opinion on the Snyder Cut. But I knew all I, I can you. think about, no, I just keep going back to uh, Steppenwolf throwing that horse. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's no argument that it's a pretty fucking cool movie. Yeah. But here's my question. Do superheroes get away with just being pretty cool movies? Like, can't you note everything to death in like a superhero world of like, well, why didn't this happen? Why didn't that happen? This doesn't make sense. Well. Oh, shit. Let's look at an example where we have a similar mythology, but it works. Okay. The Infinity Gauntlet and the Marvel Universe. Each of those gems are completely neutral, just like we set up the boxes are. They're neither good or bad on their own. It really just depends on who uses them. Now, nobody says this. And you know how we know it? We know it because we see Doctor Strange has one, and he's a good guy, and he uses it to do good things. We know it because Star-Lord steals one and he uses it to defeat a bad guy who is just about to use it to destroy a world. In other words, we know these rules because no one told it to us. It wasn't information that was conveyed through the mouth of someone. We know it because we experienced it. Moreover, we know very clearly now that if a bad guy gets a hold of even one of these Infinity Stones, let alone all of them, that he could do some serious damage to the universe. And that's it, like that's the rule system with the Infinity Gauntlet. It is really clean. So you don't have characters just inventing new rules about the Infinity Stones as each movie goes, right? The rules are completely consistent the entire series. It feels like it's the equivalent of if Doctor Strange at some point was like, hey, this time stone can also like make everyone in the world have two left feet. You're like, <laughs> okay, uh, okay. I guess if you say so. <laughs> That's what it feels like to me in that one scene in, in Justice League. I get that. No, and, and to be fair, I didn't really understand what, like, the anti-life thing was. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't get it, really. I didn't understand. But this goes back to me being like, do I care? That that's I don't it. Understand? I mean, that's where... That's where this conversation is sort of null and void is you don't have to care. It's such a, the movie itself is just like a simple bad guy, good guy story. But the reason why this is not Marvel quality is because of all these reasons that you're, you're giving them a pass, but Marvel did the work and their movies don't have these problems. And that's why we don't feel the same way. Yeah. Well, I, I let me just be very clear. It will for all forever baffle me how WB just didn't, just like do what marvel did like it's just it, it's so bizarre like here's a flash movie here's a wonder woman movie here's a batman movie and a superman and a cyborg and an aquaman and then eventually we're going to get the justice league like it, and then first we're going to do batman versus superman it, it's it's really strange to me that there's not like 
a plan in place. And it's really strange to me that they seemingly kind of marvelized the Joss Whedon theatrical cut in the sense where, like, there was a couple more jokes and the entire uh, movie was a little, like, brighter. Mm. And the music was lighter. And it was all these things where it was, like, in my opinion, it felt like it was kind of trying to do, like, a Marvel thing. Yeah, I mean, that's um, Joss's tone. So he That's Joss's have. tone. And it's just weird that, like, no one would have been like, no, that's not the plan. You can't replicate another Kevin Feige, I guess, is sort of the message there. I actually think I could. <laughs> I, I think I could right now. <laughs> I think I just said how to do it. Yeah, you just make just character a little movies. common sense. Yeah. That's <sighs> it. So here's my question for you. We'll get noted to death on things that are just common sense. But then why in the studio system do they just completely get away with it? Is there a point where as a writer you can just say, who fucking cares? <laughs> like, no one's going to care. This is going to be cool. Well, I think the answer is we are relative nobodies to the creative team behind Justice League. Wow, so that hurt. So Chris Terrio is one of the writers on Justice League. Yeah, he wrote no Star Wars, Rise of Skywalker, Argo. The thing is, is you have people like Zack Snyder, Chris Terrio, um, Will Beale is the other writer. He wrote Aquaman and you know, Gangster Squad. So like those people can say, hey, Warner Brothers, I know you seem to have a problem with that, but trust us, it's going to work. Do you think they have answers to the questions you just posed? I would like to know. If well, anyone has Asha. any, <laughs> let's invite them on. We've got Chris, Will, and the third writer coming on right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? I would be so mortified. I'm, so... Yeah. I'm fired up. I'm fired up. Uh, and, no, rightfully uh... so. <laughs> well, this is the importance of mythology, and you can't skim on mythology. But you just gave examples where maybe that's not the case. Well, what's interesting is I feel like my sort of second thing that came up for me in watching this in terms of rules of writing mythology is the idea of not over explaining your mythology. And it's interesting because it feels like kind of a paradox where the less you explain about the rules of your magic or your mythology, actually, the more people will understand it. And this kills me to say this, but magic is not real, right? <laughs> so if you're making up magic or something that's not real in your movie, like mother boxes that can reshape matter of entire planets, look, mother boxes aren't real. They're invented by someone's imagination. So to try to explain how mother boxes realistically do things, and here is the logic behind that, is literally impossible because it's not real. Like, there's no logic behind fairies. When you watch a fairy movie, you don't expect there to be a logical explanation to the biology behind fairies. You're just like, fairies exist in this world, and that's that's cool. And at no point, for example, does anyone tell us why the Infinity Stones work. The Collector, there's a scene in Guardians of the Galaxy where he just kind of gives the backstory of how they were created and how they've been used by people across the universe. It's a very clean, concise story. But what the Collector doesn't do is get into the rules behind why the energy of the universe got trapped in these stones and how the energy functions. We don't wow. need it, right? So that's the weird thing about mythology and I think why it's so difficult 
and I think you can actively see them struggling with it in this movie, is that you, the writer, need to understand the logic through and through. And it needs to make sense to you so you can write it convincingly. But you have to actually hold back a lot of the information you create in your head, all of your logic of why such and such works, because the script doesn't need it. The audience doesn't need it. They need almost as little information as possible. And it is this very careful line of confusing them and entertaining them. And that's the difficult part about mythology, and that's the hard work. But I just don't think they managed it here. All right, well, the Tasha version of the Zack Snyder cut come in in 2024, maybe. They just let us do everything, Josh. That wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> I know. I would. I swear to you, if WB just was like, all right, what is it? What's, what, what's our solution? I'd be like, here you go. Trim it all down. Take it out. Well, I'm just talking about the entire universe. <laughs> I could do it. I swear to you. I know we could. I, I could do it in 20 hours. Max. <laughs> all right. Well. I have a third rule. Oh, great. Let's hear it. The third rule that kind of came up in watching this was don't add too many layers to your mythology. Keep mm -hmm. it really, really clean. Uh, it's sort of related to not over explaining it, but slightly different. For example, and this speaks to what you just mentioned a second ago about this anti-life equation thing. So here's what I kind of understood in watching this movie. Darkseid comes to Earth. He hits the Earth with his axe and it reveals this red lava symbol in the ground, which was mm -hmm. very cool. And as far as I'm concerned in that moment, because he hit the earth with his axe and this appeared, that to me is telling me this is like his personal sigil or something, right? Like this is his banner symbol. That's very cool. And then Darkseid gets defeated and in his retreat, he leaves the mother boxes behind on earth. And so he goes home and he recovers from his injuries, whatever that looks like. And then he wants his damn mother boxes back. But for some reason, he has forgotten where Earth is. I did catch that one, too. I was a little confused. I was like, wait, what? Yeah. How does he know it's here? And it, and it kind of gets worse the more you think about it. Because, A, you're now saying Darkseid, who's like the biggest bad of your whole thing. He's the Thanos of this universe. He just forgot where earth was which does not make yeah. him a good villain so then thousands of years later superman dies for some reason that awakens this box they now call out to steppenwolf tracks him here and steppenwolf plan his his plan is really great it's i got to get all three boxes together so i can remake earth into this terrible fiery planet and i guess the box also possesses people to become zombie demons that's like a line that's mentioned yeah which, also was unclear about that yeah i don't you don't need that that no. It's scary enough that the planet's going to be destroyed. You don't need to add a rule that it also turns people into zombies. That gets confusing. Anyways. I'd see that. So Steppenwolf wants the three boxes. A very clear goal, by the way. It's so simple. It's so clean. I know what's at stake if that's the goal. But they didn't stop there. No, there are boxes that are going to destroy the world. And now there's an anti-life equation that's on Earth, which I guess that's what the fiery lava symbol is. The dark side. I saw. didn't understand that. I listen. I will say I had. I, it's not like I walked away with this without having any beef. <laughs> I I just. I don't know the answer. I really don't. No, that's the point. Is nobody knows these answers. But I think what you're saying is right. Is that why do you need the anti-life equation? Is it not enough that the three boxes are going to destroy? 
the planet. That feels like a pretty good stakes situation in terms of world stakes for your movie. I totally don't agree. get why the anti-life thing is here. It's just a distraction because this whole movie has been about the boxes. And now suddenly in like the third or fourth hour of the movie, I'm now worrying about an anti-life equation, which was not set up at all. No, I completely agree. Yeah. And also you can't throw the word equation into it because I'm like, but it's a symbol on the ground. How is that an equation? How Equation no. tells me that it has to be plugged into something to function properly. And that that feels complicated too. I actually see this a lot in writing. This, When people are creating worlds, I see the, these issues that I'm bringing up happen a lot. So it's not just Zack Snyder and Chris Terry and Will Beale, like, this is a thing. So I'm going through this, A, to just kind of remind myself that these rules exist and that you can't do this, but B, to just kind of talk about it because building mythology is a very specific thing, particularly for yeah. movies and television. And it's very different in books, right? You have all of this space. And so I think the more we talk about it, the more we sort of figure out how to do it. And I think the more it's just helpful it is to everyone because it is this kind of constantly growing, changing thing. And I think it's just very helpful to talk about it. And that's why I'm fired up is because I'm like excited to kind of dig in and figure out how to fix this so that I don't do it myself, I think. It's always really like, eye-opening to have these conversations where people are just poking at things and you're like oh okay why did i do this why did i not do that it, it's an incredible writing exercise to do something with mythology just to kind of see how to do it yeah because you just had to create a kind of fantastical mythology recently and that's not really where you write you tend to write action adventure yeah. Where, th where things are fairly simple in real world. So what did you find to be the most difficult thing in writing mythology? I think it was just the rules, you know, and like, like kind of tying back into what you're saying is not making things feel convenient. For instance, um, without getting too far into what I was just working on, you know, it's like this woman just appeared and, and it's like, well, why doesn't she just do this if she has these powers? And why doesn't she do this if she has these powers? So I feel like so you're just kind of like, well, why doesn't that supernatural thing just kill that person right now? Yeah. You know, and then you have to kind of like work back from there. Well, they can't because of this. Or... Yeah. yeah. And this is the process and it can be very frustrating, but also exciting when you do figure it out. And I think sort of the, the word that comes to mind when you're talking about that is limitations. And a big thing yeah. that I talk about a lot with mythology is you have to add limitations to the mythology to someone's magic, right? So that they can't just literally wave a magic yeah. wand and anything happens. So like, for instance, there's a limitation with the mother boxes in that they only function if all three are together and combined. So that's, that's a great limitation. It's really interesting. Yeah. So making sure that there are limitations can help you solve those little logic rules a bit because you can be like, oh, well, it's because in my world, ghosts can't travel through walls and that's why right. you can't just escape. And also I think it's really important if you're dealing with like a bad guy that has mythology or a bad woman, you have to ask yourself right away, well, how do I defeat this person? Because that was also really difficult for me is to like figure out, it's like, well, how do you defeat a bad person who has supernatural abilities? Yeah. Yeah, that's actually something that came up in watching Justice League as well that actually my boyfriend Paul noticed before I did. Who I might have it? not might not have even noticed at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
that at the end when they're discussing how to defeat the mother boxes the solution is that as i said cyborg has to plug himself into the boxes but then flash has to like run at the speed of light or something and create enough energy to then zap cyborg to put him into the mother boxes and his comment was that feels so convenient because it feels like i'm creating an obstacle specifically for my characters to defeat versus i think something like infinity wars in um the marvel universe they do such a good job at like no one person is like the key to solving this they all have to work together they all have to use their specific powers together in unique ways that are kind of unexpected in order to defeat thanos like that fantastic scene where it's like spider-man and star lord and like iron man all those people had different roles to to play and there was no sense of like the only way to defeat the mother box is like if they had no flash they were fucked right like there's no way they could have solved this and so i think that's writing yourself into this very convenient hole that you also want to avoid yeah (laughs) i mean clearly i am very passionate about mythology and i think about it a lot so we will we will continue to have these conversations about if, if you are writing stuff that's heavily mythological it has a lot of magic rules for instance or you know supernatural universe Definitely stay tuned because this is a topic we are very much going to cover in terms of what works, what doesn't work. Also, what gets noted, what typically gets noted when you are writing these things. I think that's important too. And how to address logic questions, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of practical things about mythology as well we're going to get into. See, this is what the Snyder Cut has done to us. It opened up. This is like, we had to talk about this. It's like in the zeitgeist. There's no way we could have avoided no, we were both fired up this weekend watching it. You know, I watched it twice. You shut your mouth. So I didn't tell Nicole, my wife, I didn't tell her that I watched it the first time because we were supposed to watch it together. And I got <gasps> so into it the first time that, um, like, I was watching it in segments. And then it took me a little while. And then finally she was like, oh, we're going to watch the Snyder Cut. And I was like, okay, <laughs> let's do it. And then uh, we sat down and, and then you know female instincts she was like you watched this already didn't you and i was like yeah so i just (laughs) i did she was like we'll turn it off then fine it was one of those moments like, no babe we're in we're gonna watch it (laughs) i barely watched it (laughs) oh no (laughs) so i've watched i've watched it i feel sorry for you (laughs) i was i enjoyed it i was no i mean I, if I watched it again, I would just fast forward to all the really cool, awesome action scenes, of which there are many. Oh, my God. He's, visually, Zack Snyder's, I mean, listen, you either like it or hate it. And I really like some of his visual choices. Me too. I get why it's people think it's overdone. I understand, like, issues and this and that. I get it. It's not like I'm oblivious to it. I just, I just choose to enjoy it. It's like, what wine do I want to drink? You might not like it, but I might like it. Do you think this movie is better than the first Thor movie? What a random movie to throw out there. Why the worst in the series. The first Thor. Yeah, I do. But that's hard to compare to because it's like you need to like say, is this four hour movie better than like the Avengers for like part two or whatever it was. 
Hell no. Wow. Any of them. Avengers all the way. We're divided on this. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not siding with the whole DC. Snyder. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I, I just, I'm just throwing it out for a debate. Okay, there's one more thing I want to talk about, and I, we kind of brought this up with um, talking about Vision. Is that I don't know when this happened, but like Zack Snyder has cultivated a cult-like following, and I was wondering like when and how this happened, and I really believe a lot of it has to do with he is so steadfast with his vision and his style, and I think when you convey a certain amount of confidence with anything, people just really start to believe you, and they grasp onto that because most people don't know, and when the person comes along and they know, I think people really respond to that, and I honestly believe Zack Snyder is like, hey, because he's so unique in his like artistic vision that I think people are like, yeah, that's what I want to see. That's it. This isn't, you could watch any, it's like watching a Michael Bay movie. It's like, you know a Michael Bay movie. You know a Zack Snyder movie. You know a Spielberg movie. I hate to say it, but like, you know, when directors, you know, certain directors, there's other directors where you'd be like, I have no idea who directed this mm-hmm. and I'll never know. So anyway, Mm -hmm. my point about vision is that and why this ties into writing and kind of bringing this full circle to something we talked about earlier is like if you can just convey why what you're doing is what someone needs and what they want, you're going to be good for the rest of your life. That's a big promise. Oh, I'm certain of it. I pretty sure that vision and voice in a script is one of our upcoming topics actually because you and i've been thinking about this a lot lately yeah and how to convey that in a script and what that even means so i feel like i'm going to save my thoughts for that episode oh thanks for letting me uh talk tell me say mine then (laughs) that was great (laughs) gotcha All right. All right. So that, I mean, those are my feelings about Snyder Cut. It was really just mythology. Everything else you're talking about, the tone and the the beauty of the movie and the action sequences, that was all great. It was fun and, yes, beautiful, but mm-hmm. so aggravating. The mythology got you. I could understand why it would get, like, someone like you who works in mythology. I think that's it. Like, I was taking it personally because I'm, like, currently – getting yeah. notes about mythology and so i'm like but look at this <laughs> yeah. look at this piece of shit mythology <laughs> this is one of those things where i remember watching one of the fast and furious movies and like i it was that one movie where the rock had a broken arm for like 24 hours and he flexed and broke the cast and then he fought vin <laughs> diesel at the end and he vin diesel stomped on the cement on the like the rooftop and the entire roof he's like you know, I don't know, take it to the streets or whatever he says. And then I remember thinking, like, how the fuck can these get away with, like, how is this even possible? But people just like it. Like, you can get away with absurdity mm-hmm. if if you're already kind of established in, yeah. in, like, a brand. I don't know. It's It's bizarre. And for the record, I fucking love The Fast and Furious. I can't wait for the next one to come out. I cheer. I tried watching one once, and I shut it off after 10 minutes. One? You've never seen Beyond 
10 minutes of Fast and Furious. I've seen the one everyone hates, Tokyo Drift. No, nah, it's a good one. They're all good. I liked it. It's just But one. any other one? Oof. Oh, Tasha. I can't do it. I can't do it. Tasha, you're missing out. Like Oh, I don't think I am. No. You're missing out. As soon as they start talking to each other, I just can't handle it. It's all about family. No. <laughs> Funny story about that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So I worked at Universal and so I I hear stories about Fast and Furious, which was their you know, their biggest franchise. And no one could crack the Fast and Furious movies. Everyone knew they wanted it. No one knew how to fix it, how to how to make it what they imagined it could be. It was just always out of reach. And so they were kind of giving up on being able to crack it. And someone comes in and says, Let's make it a Romeo and Juliet story. It's a love story. And that's when it all clicked together, is they wrapped this insane fucking world of, I don't even know what it's about, car racing or something, and put it around a love story. And that became sort of the core, the anchor to the storytelling. And that's what made the movie possible. Give me a Corona, give me Vin Diesel in a tank top, and I'm watching the Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> all right. I'll take us out with the quote of the day. Yeah. A mythological image that has to be explained to the brain is not working. Joseph Campbell. All right. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act 2 Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. And tell me that I'm wrong about the Snyder Cut. That's okay. Yeah, please reach out to her. And also, uh, I'm on Twitter as Joshua Hallman and Instagram as Josh Hallman. And feel free to come at me as well. I feel like the screenwriter community is going to be like, dude, <laughs> we had a good run on the Act 2 podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. To, to clear the air in a bit, in a way, I respect Zack Snyder very much. I just do not agree with his mythology choices in this movie. As always, the Act 2 podcast is a production <laughs> of Act 2 a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter this episode was edited by paul lundquist music by 414 beg which you can find on spotify